Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today we're going to recap, revisit superannuation. If you've got a job, if you've ever had a job, if you're under 60, you've probably got a superannuation account. So let's swing back around and have a chat about superannuation. You're listening to My Millennial Money. What is super and should anyone worry about it while they're young? Well, answer the second question first. The answer is yes. The next question gets to the why. Yes. And superannuation is a tax-preferred way of saving for retirement. And in Australia, it's compulsory. So effectively, anyone who's got a job, their employer will put in 9.5% of their pay into their special account that's locked away till you turn 60. At least 60. At least 60. Or 58 in my case. Yes. So, John, g'day. Uh, welcome. Thanks. We're joined by Vince Scully. Where, from, are, where are you from, Vince? From Life Sherpa. Life Sherpa, the financial advisor for broke people. That's right. <laughs> Vince we is, get you back to broke. Yeah, that's right. And then on to thriving. I'm intrigued. You, you mentioned super's compulsory. As a business owner, do I need to pay super? Ooh, that's a complicated question. In if you if you have a company yep. and you pay yourself a salary, yes, you do. Right. If you're a sole trader, no, you don't. Right. But you probably should. But look you probably at doing should. It. Yeah. Yes. Because um, you meet a lot of business owners, don't you? In the first couple of years of business, like everything goes back into the business and not drawing wages and things like that. That's um, right. I mean, a lot of small business people treat their business as their super. Yes. But that's sort of putting all your eggs in the one basket. Yes. That, you know, if you're 30 now, who knows what your business is going to be look, will look like in 35 years' time. Yeah. And that's a big thing. Like when I, you know, coach people and small businesses, we've got to start to divest and, as you said, spread the investments because, yeah, your business might be worth something today, but what if there's legislation change? What if something happens? Overnight, it might not be worth anything. 15 years ago, yeah. I had a client who had a, a chain of quick print photoshops. Wow. That's not much of a retirement now. No, no. Not at all. The whole Kodak story. That's right. Um, it's like relying on an inheritance, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And the cool thing is people don't realize that superannuation, like you said, Vince, it is a tax structure. Yes. It's your money. You're allocated just the money. Yet. Just not yet. And I think that's important. I mean, there's a... Some research out which is that 30% of the population doesn't even believe it's their own money. Yeah. Which is the first step in getting it under control. It yeah. is your money. You just can't spend it right now. So the important thing is to make sure that it's looked after and nurtured where it is so that it's yeah. ready to do its job when you do turn 60. So you may have heard Vince on one of our other episodes. He's been on a couple of times. We've read one about shares and we might revisit shares in the coming weeks as well. Uh, but Vince is a regular 
because we get him to help explain the tricky stuff. <laughs> He's almost the grandfather of uh, my millennial money. <laughs> Candace asks, should you be contributing additional money into your super? What do you think, Vince? This is another one of those personal finance things where the maths will tell you one thing and psychology will tell you something else. Mm. Mathematically, you should. All day be, long. All yeah. day long. Yeah. But in practical terms, the tax benefits, to my mind, don't outweigh the loss of flexibility. So if you're you know, under 40 and still have a big home loan, psychologically it's not a good move to to put it into super. You'll be better off gaining cash flow benefits today um, rather than putting it out till age 65. But mathematically, it will come age 65, it would be better having been in super. But to my mind, the flexibility you have to give up to get that benefit. So you're saying realistically, the line in the sand might be age 40, then you should have the the actual more strategic thinking about your investing at age 40? Yeah. I mean, nothing magic about 40. No. I, I think it's probably more related to how much of your home loan you've paid off and how stable you are financially. So if you've got yourself in a position where you know, your home loan payments are way less than a quarter of your income, you've got maybe half your home loan paid off, now, and your kids are high school or above, now it's a good time to start plowing it in because 20 years goes by really quick. And But the lion's share of our listeners are probably well under 35 anyway. So, so if, you're, if you're not in that position, I wouldn't be doing it today. So I get what you're saying. I'm sure Paul Keating would kill me for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He and used I, to be the Prime Minister, by the way. <laughs> I, I agree with you um, from that side of things. One thing that I wrestle with is, well, if I've got $10,000 sitting around, do I contribute it to super or do I put it against my home loan? Or invest it. Yeah. So let's say we've got a home loan that we want to crack down on versus super, just that argument for the moment. So the ten grand I put in an offset against today's interest rate, I'm, I'm saving 3%, maybe 35 if yep. we're paying too much. Uh, versus putting it into super that hopefully will earn more than that. Yeah, I mean, this is the mathematical argument that if you if you're a paying tax normally at thirty nine percent, so you're earning eighty thousand. Yeah. If you have a dollar of gross income, you'll pocket sixty one cents of it if you take it home, but your super fund will get eighty five cents. And your super fund is going to invest that in shares, which yeah. might return 10%. Yeah. And it will only pay tax at 15%. So by the time you get to age 60, that will be a much bigger pile than paying off your home loan. But you've got to give up access to that money for 40 20, years 30, 40 yeah. years. And yeah. that's where the logic falls down. Yeah, because I, I speak to a lot of people even in their early 20s and they say, well, money sitting in my offset account is only earning me 3%. I want I want my money to do for, more for me. And I say, well, stop complicating. So buy some shares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I would probably say like if anything, uh, if you do have the lion's share of your life and in income insurance funded by your super, 
there could be an argument to just salary sacrifice just that amount. Oh, yeah. Replacing your insurance premiums is a because good that, example of that, why you would do it. So that would mean, you know, it just means if you salary sacrifice three grand worth of your insurance premiums into super, it, it's still tax efficient. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. I think you should look at doing that. And then it's just so, such a personal thing. Like yeah. I put, you know, I've been vocal before and I, I cap out mine every year. But it's only because if I don't, I'll spend it. I concur with that. So, <laughs> what you'll concur that he'll spend yes. it? Yes. <laughs> so it, it really is. So let's just step back and say, how does tax work when putting money into super? Okay. Well, if we take a normal contribution, that's what's called a concessional contribution. A concessional contribution is tax deductible to the payer, which is either you or your employer, and taxed in your super fund. Right. So go back to my example. If you're a 39% taxpayer, you would end up with 61 cents of a dollar that you earn because you'll pay 39 cents in tax. Whereas the same dollar put into your super fund would end up as 85 cents in your super fund. And so now you have 85 cents working instead of 61 cents. So if you invested in identical things, you're just buying more of them in your super fund. And that's why it works. And then the earnings in your super fund are taxed at 15% compared to your 39. So you get to keep more of the earnings. So it, Australia is a bit of a tax haven in that regard because you can put up to $25,000 a year Correct. into your super. Correct. Including what you're in, and that includes what your employer puts in. Correct. So it's probably unlikely for any of our listeners who need to, but you can also put up to $100,000 a year in as a non-concessional. And so, a non-concessional doesn't attract any of these tax deductions. It's you take your dollar of cash and put a dollar in your super fund. But the super fund will still tax the earnings at 15%. Correct. Right. But the dollar goes in as a dollar. So why would anyone want to build up their super um, as opposed to buying, say, an investment property with John in their own name? So we'll fast forward. Yeah. Well, fast, the, fast, fast forward, forward to, to retirement. The well, let's big fast plus, forward to a, a listener who's 55 years okay. old. The big plus of super is that the income that you draw out of it is tax-free. Whereas if you had a property, you the would, income that you generate would be, taxable. would be taxable. So you've had more working for you paying lower tax, and then when you take it out, it comes out tax-free. So it is the Cayman Islands in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I mean. Like I just love that we are getting these questions from people who are in their early 20s. <laughs> I just need you – you might not be acting on it, but you just need to know as a minimum you probably should be salary sacrificing your insurance premiums. Yep. Once you clean up your personal loan debt, and I'd probably even say once you've saved your house deposit, like it's not, the house isn't burning down, it's not an emergency, <laughs> but I just want you to get into the rhythm and the habit of investing for the long term. Yeah, and no, I think um, we find that most people are a lot more educated on their own super these days because 20 years ago, 
there wasn't the apps to check our super balances, was there? So it's a lot more visible to us. Well, there's so, some very good reasons why you shouldn't be looking at it every day. No, <laughs> I know, but it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They, when you when you ask most people in their forties what their super balance is, they I find that they don't know. <laughs> Whereas a twenty five year old might have a better idea because they've already got it sitting there in their in their uh, mobile phone. That's right. Yeah. But obviously when you're seeing it on your mobile phone every day and it's going up and down, it creates all sorts of angst. Yeah, that's because right. We, the problem with us humans is that we feel losses worse than we feel the joy of gains. And on average, it will be down one day out of every three. So Yeah, and do you find that's because we expect gains, we don't expect losses? I don't know. It's just humans val- feel well, we, that- we don't like pain. Yeah, but we yeah we feel pain twice as much as we yeah. feel joy. So if you say that on average the stock market goes up, you but you will still have one down day in three. In terms of super, it is a long term investment. Yes, it is. If I'm 23 years old, and there's another question here, should it be in the high growth, and how long should you be in the high growth option? So when it comes to investing, there's really only four or five things you can invest in. You can invest in cash. You can invest in bonds or IOUs from governments and companies. You can invest in shares, which is part of a company, or you can invest in real estate. And then there's a few odd things like commodities and stuff. But broadly, those five things, and only two of them are capable of beating inflation in the long run, and that's real estate and shares. And they're generally referred to as growth assets. And that's because we finance people aren't very imaginative. So (laughs) things that grow, we call them growth assets. Wow. (laughs) Science. And things that... Don't grow, um, but will generally provide relatively stable income like cash and bonds. We call them defensive. And so the only place you can get long-term growth is by is in shares and real estate. So if you've got a long investment horizon, your biggest enemy is inflation. And so you really need to be in as much growth as possible. And inflation is the price and the cost to exist Inflation That's right. Year. So every, every day the prices of things that we use to live like food, TVs, cars, all those things that we spend to live go up. Yeah. Now, Damn. people who've come to adulthood in the last five to ten years probably don't remember high inflation um, because inflation's been you know, sub 3% for two decades probably. But if you go back to the 70s and 80s, we had 20% inflation. Glenn wouldn't remember that. No. no. Um, which meant that you know, a cup of coffee that cost you $5 today would cost you $6 next year. Wow. And so making sure that your nest egg keeps up with that, the only way of doing that is real estate and shares. Right. So, And they're called growth assets. So the longer your horizon, the more growth you can have. And the only reason in those circumstances you would look at the other things is to smooth out the ups and downs because with growth comes variability. So the price of BHP goes up and down every day. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the long term, but it it does matter if you look at it and react. Every day. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. And that's why I make sure that people tell people not to have their super balance linked to their internet banking or their mobile phone because if you look at it every day, you are tempted 
to do something about it the day the market goes down. It's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. So, well, what you should be doing is buy more, but people fail, investments generally don't. Very wise, Glenn. Well, Vince, what can I say? What can I I'm say? I'm going to have to keep that one. So, if you are 25 years old, it's okay to have your investments in a high growth mix. In fact, it's probably more risky to not do it. And it doesn't matter because if it drops down tomorrow, it doesn't matter because you can't touch it anyway. Correct. So it's only a real loss when you actually cash it in. And else you can't cash it in till you turn 60, 61. So there is so much opportunity cost if you've got a portfolio that is quote unquote safe and defensive. And I would say if that is you, you probably need more of an understanding about taking on risk for the long term. That's right. So you looked at from the outside, most people underestimate the risk of not owning shares or property and overestimate the risk of owning them in the long term. And that is because this inflation risk is sort of hidden. Mm. That one year's inflation doesn't look like a lot, but 20 years does. Right. So, so just ask your parents what they paid for their house and yeah. you understand what inflation is. That's right. Because everyone's like, oh, I paid 70 grand for this house. Yeah. But no, you probably paid the same price as today. It's just inflated That's dollars right. today. It's relative. Yeah. So you've got to be in growth assets and you need enough defensive to allow you to sleep at night. Right. And less is more. So in terms of super fees, everyone wants fee-free this. I want this for free. I want that for free. Um, they want this podcast for free. and Really? Yeah, they get it for free. Oh, so worth every cent. It's worth exactly what you paid for it, my comments. <laughs> so, so that one-star review again <laughs> costs nothing. Yeah, costs nothing. So what do all the fees mean with super? Like how could you explain to somebody what fees they pay with their run-of-the-mill super fund? Okay. Um, there's a, a number of categories of fees – not all funds have all of them, but broadly you'll have a an administrative fee or a membership fee, and it's often quoted as a a dollar a week or a dollar fifty a week or five ninety five a month or, or something whatever like that. Yeah. Um, and that's really just covers the admin of you having your account. And sometimes that admin fee has got a percentage of your balance as well, and that's generally referred to as admin fees or member fees. Then you come on and you look at investment fees which will depend on what it's invested in and how it's invested. So, so for example, if we can, everyone, close your eyes and picture this. You've got a fruit bowl and that's the super fund. It costs you to have that bowl to carry your assets, right? Member fee? Yep. I can put an apple in. That might cost a dollar. I could put a banana in. It might cost $1.50. Yep. I could put a kiwi fruit in and it might cost 20 cents. Yep. So the structure. I'm not sure where you're going with this. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know either. But it sounds good. Yeah. Do you like kiwi fruit? I don't mind like it, Chinese gooseberries. Don't, don't mind it. So I guess what I'm saying is if you've got – so some of the biggest super funds in Australia like your Australian super, mm-hmm. your REST, your AMP, your MLCs of the world, the big super funds – Regardless of whatever you invest or whatever fruit you put in, they will charge you for just rocking up. That's right. And because there's a cost in keeping the books and sending an annual statement and dealing with all the tax. Yeah. And they're generally 
related to the number of investors they have. Yes. Right. So they're usually fixed fees and it's usually a dollar fifty a week yep. is a standard number. And then if we call them platforms. Yep. So that's the platform fee, membership fee for rocking up with your money. Each fund has a different amount of investment options. That's right. And which option you pick will drive the next category of fees, which is your investment management fees. Right. And investment management fees vary hugely and they will vary depending on the type of asset you've just invested in. So some things are cheap to manage, like Aussie shares. Some things are international shares a bit more expensive, uh, bonds more expensive again, and then some are really expensive like private equity, infrastructure, real estate. So when you're trying to compare investment rich, uh, investment fees, you've got to make sure you're comparing like with like. Yeah, so is a management fee equivalent usually to the projected returns? No, they're not uh, – there's generally very little relationship between the fee and the return, which is why all other things being equal, you should pick the smaller fee. Yeah. But the trick is working out whether all other things are in fact equal. So if you look at a um, a high growth fund that um, is purely listed shares and government bonds, that should be, all the things being called, cheaper than a fund that had a bunch of investments in infrastructure and private equity. And those categories can often produce higher returns, but they are more expensive to manage. So lower isn't always better, but it's a reasonably good indicator. So all the things being equal, a 2% fee is going to result in less income than a 1% fee. Mm. So first step is understanding what are your fees. Yeah. Why are you – what what is it and why is this one higher than that one? Is there a rational reason why it should be higher? So we talked about the category of investments and the next category that drives the cost is whether it's actively managed or it's managed by a computer. And some type of assets can only be actively managed like real estate, infrastructure, private equity, whereas when it comes to shares, there are lots of people who are – um, sometimes these are called passive funds, but there's not much that's actually passive about them. They just use a computer to choose which they are rather than a highly paid fund manager. Right. So you've got to look at all of those things. And then there's a bunch of other fees for individual transactions. So sometimes a fund will charge you a fee for a partial rollover. So if you take some money out of your super fund to pay your insurance fee or your insurance premium, some funds will charge you 40 or $50 for that. Yes. Others will be free. Um, others will charge you for um, paper statements. Others will charge you for um, switching from one investment to another. But broadly um, speaking, you know, there's probably two types of fees. The first one, the membership yep, fee, the platform yep. fee, admin fee is in one yep. basket, and then the investment option fee. Correct. So realistically – the PDSs, every PDS in Australia. That's a product disclosure statement. Thank you. Which obviously doesn't always disclose everything you need to know. No. However, there is a templated page which is the same for every single super fund in Australia and they will tell you how much it will cost to have $50,000 invested in the default fund. Correct. Now, if they say the total cost to have 
$50,000 invested in the default fund, if it was $258 a year, get your calculator, $258 divided by $50,000 times 100 will give you the percent, 0.52%. That, that'd be a cheap fund. That wouldn't be a bad fund. Yep. I generally say anything under 1%, pretty good. Yep. And the problem with treating it as, an in, as a percentage though, particularly for people with smaller balances, is this $1.50 a week? When you divide it into 50000 it's not a lot. But if you've got a $7,000 balance, $1.50 a week is 1%. Absolutely. It's all relative. Yeah. Right? So, but I, would you so say, Vince? So the 50000 can be a bit misleading. Yes. It, it will make funds with fixed fees look more attractive, which might not be the right answer if you've got seven or $10,000. But I think it's a good guide to compare multiple funds. It is, as long as you've got a $50,000 balance. Yes, that's right. And that's why the government have actually set that up. Um, but there are listeners who have got $10,000. Yeah. Um, In which case, the fixed fee is actually far more important than the investment fee. Yeah. So, And those rollover fees and other things. Yeah. So what's the main thing you tell people to look for with a super fund? I mean, one of the, the, the – apart from fees, which is obviously important, um, the two other big things that I like to focus on are – transparency. So do I actually know what this thing is invested in? Mm. And can I be reasonably assured that the value they're telling me it's worth is what it's actually worth? And this is a problem with um, particularly some of the bigger funds who have large number of unlisted investments. Now just go back and explain what that actually means. Um, If you buy an Australian share, like you buy BHP or you buy an a Vanguard fund like uh, BGS, um, I like that one because it's my initials. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can look in the paper or go on the online and find out what it's worth every second and it's always worth what it says on the screen. If you if your super fund's gone and bought a, a building or a piece of an airport, these are often valued by analysts in a back room with a spreadsheet. Making assumptions. And a whole bunch of assumptions. You So you tweak your assumption on economic growth, you tweak your inflation assumption, you tweak your growth and air travel assumption, and this value will change. And the only way you know what it's actually worth is the day they go to sell it. So it makes the returns look better and it smooths them out. But you don't actually have any real idea what it's worth day to day. It so- also hides a lot of fees sometimes. So, so transparency is important. Yeah. The other one that's worth looking at, and it may seem a long time away, but the day you go to retire, am I going to have to sell all these investments to put it somewhere else to draw pension? And if you do, that's going to cost you 10% to 15% in taxes the day you retire. Whereas if your super fund has the ability to roll it into a pension straight away, you end up with 10 or 15% more in retirement. So those two things alone can outweigh a saving in fees. And but I think that's probably beyond the scope of many yeah, of our sure, listeners. Yeah, sure it is. But I just want to say returns are not everything because some funds you don't know how they've made that return. Exactly. Up. And that's the point I'm making. And that's the difference between better returns and higher returns. Yeah. So when you look at the league tables in the paper and it says that fund X had the highest return this year, well, it, it sort of doesn't mean anything. No. Because it's not crystallized. Because A, it hasn't realized. And B, you've got no idea how it got there and are you really comparing 
apples with apples. But it's important for people to understand that because the person off the street reads that and it's like, oh, why am I in that fun, for example? Yeah. And there are fads in these things. You know, if you go back 20 years ago, MTAA, the Motor Trades Association Fund, was the best game in town. They'd had you know, best over 1, 5, 10, 15 years. They were ahead of everyone. And um, then they had some problems and they, they underperformed for a decade or more. Yeah, so basically overnight they went from the best fund in Australia. Because yeah. I think they – did they invest in the Cross City Tunnel and went bankrupt or They were an like early that? adopter of infrastructure. Yes. And it paid off handsomely for them. But And they also had some management squabbles which, you know, changed – took their eye off the ball. But yeah. it's not about that particular fund, but the point being that being on top of this year's league table – means next to nothing, five-year or 10-year returns are a better indicator, but, you know, higher doesn't and always mean better. And that's why I actually don't like those things that get published online. No, the dangerous. best return the last 12 months, yeah, the best fund, right. it actually means nothing that's because right. an equity strategy might be seven years. Hmm. So I, I just think you've got to look at things that are important to you. Many of our listeners like ethical investing yeah, exactly. options, um, which – you will pay more. It's as simple as that. The fees will be higher because there's more work involved. In sourcing um, the ethical investments. That's right. And, and monitoring them. Um, there's no evidence that they do any better or any worse in the long term. Uh, but think, they can create a whole bunch of other intangibles. Would you say we can also get caught up in the in the minor stuff and, and forget about the big long game as well, like 0.8% versus 0.9% oh, on yeah. changing funds? So Yeah. Like they, that's not a, a reason to move funds. The, you will generally, and this is a bit of an assumption, better off being in one fund than two funds or three funds with a few minor exceptions. You will generally be better off in a higher growth fund and you will generally be better off in a lower or average or below average fee. And you'll generally be better off in listed assets rather than unlisted assets. Yeah. But within that, moving from a 0.8 to a 0.7 fund. Well, yeah, like, it probably costs you more because yeah. the yeah. two days that you're out of the market or three days. Yeah. Who knows what happens? Yeah. yeah. You could. And, and for the odd 50-year-old plus that's listening to us right now, um, you mentioned before about um, when I exit my funds for, for pension, <laughs> et cetera, would I find that in the PDS? The fees associated, if any? Yeah, the, well, the, the fees will be disclosed um, and buried somewhere in the description of how super works. They'll talk about capital gains tax and income tax. Yeah. But being explicit that says when you roll your super from this fund into a new fund to pay a pension, you will pay 15% tax. You will never find that in a PDS. Right. So it's like a bank contract. That's right. <laughs> um, but, but it just speaks to that's why you need advice. Exactly. Uh, when you get to that end of the um, yeah. of the, the pencil. Yeah. But there's a couple of questions here that came through on Instagram. Um, government matches. Yes, quite important there. Um, there are a couple of those. Um, there's the what's called a spouse co-contribution. Um, and I can't remember the precise details, but if you were in less than X. I think it's 35 grand. Um, let me pull up my little black book and find out. If you were in less than X, you can put in some um, 
money. Here we go. If your spouse is less than thirty-seven thousand, thirty-seven, yeah, um, you can put in up to three thousand dollars and get an extra eighteen percent from the government. Yeah, so that's really good. So if yours, so that's free money. Yeah. So if you have a high income earner and a stay at home spouse, that's something that you should seriously consider yeah. doing. Throw three grand in the lower income earners yeah. super that year, you'll get the five hundred dollar offset. That's right. They'll get um, three thousand in their super. Yep. And then what you can do as well for that lower income earner, put a personal contribution of a thousand dollars and get a match. And get a match of a thousand. So what that actually means is for that lower income earner, they've basically got five thousand dollars in their super fund, the three thousand dollars, then the one thousand dollars that you're put in. And then the $1,000 from the government. So it means that for that year, they've basically got the super contributions of being on a 50K salary. Yeah. So that's kind of, again, when I should contribute to super, I'll 100% have a think about if you've got one spouse off work Mm -hmm. on mat leave or just doesn't want to work and wants to be a home home person, um, that's certainly something you really need to look at um, as a a consideration if you're out of personal loan debt, if you're out of credit card debt, if you've probably got your house deposit saved because I think we need to, like you said, Vince, at the start, be a bit pragmatic. It's like, That's okay, right. well, the it's math not a math, It's not a mathematical argument. The mm. reason personal finance is called personal finance is that it is personal. Yeah. yeah. So that's one there. Um, there's another question here uh, from Nick Redcliffe. They replied to my Instagram do you use beard oil? If so, what product? No, I don't. It's just natural. <laughs> beard oil? <laughs> it looks straggly naturally. Yeah, you don't no. have to pay for it. Hey, just a reminder, we run two other podcasts, My Millennial Money Property. It's about property. That's all. And if you're under 23 years old, Gen Z Money, it's for you. Check them out now wherever you're listening to this podcast. Another one asked, uh, JMH Photoshef, while young, is it a good idea to pump up your super or just employee contributions? I think we've covered that. It's pretty circumstantial. Um, But as well, like in financial planning land, I think it's a matter of we've got to work out how much it costs us to exist, Yep. how much money we've got left over, what are our short and long-term goals, and then any money left over to invest, it is what's the most long-term tax-effective way to invest that. Now, that could be an investment property yes, in your own name. It could be going, well, we don't ever want an investment property and we've got $500 left per month. Yeah, well, let's put $500, $400 in a fund in our own name and hedge it and put $100 in super. Yep. So it kind of goes down this garden path. But you've got to start with goals first. Exactly. So do, do I have a stable foundation? What are my goals? And how much am I looking to invest? But getting back to your point about what, what you should be doing in your 20s or 30s, there's four things I always tell people they should do with this super. And the first thing is find it all. And none of these cost any money, by the way. So first of all is find it all. And MyGov is making that much easier. If you've got yeah, a MyGov account, good. you can log in and it will tell you anything that's associated with your tax file number, which is probably likely to be everything you've got. Um, unless you've had it for more than 10 years. Then the next thing you should do is consider rounding it up into the one place, and that's not always the right answer, but it's it will be in most cases. And thirdly, make sure it's invested in the right things, 
just focus on growth. And then the fourth thing is keep your hands off it. Mm. Yeah. The, the other four, thing, the would, fourth things are probably the hardest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I would like to comment on, if you do log into your MyGov, the balance detail it will have a lag. Yes. It might say you've got thirty grand. Where no, I know I've got forty grand or whatever, so it will be lagged. It will also tell you if you've got insurance linked to your super accounts. Now, don't just roll over if you've got multiple super accounts. Don't just roll them all over into the one account because you will have insurance and it's important to speak to a financial advisor. And if you go to sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help, I can refer you to someone to review the insurance and set up decent insurance before you go and cancel the insurances in your existing funds. So that's the, the biggest bugbear I've got with the super fund marketing companies or yep. they'll go out and say, just log on to our website. One click will roll all yeah. your money in. Yeah. They don't take into account that you might have diabetes and are uninsurable yeah. and you're about to cancel all your disability cover. It's about a quarter of the population, their super fund is the only place they can get insurance. Yeah. And that's either because they've got high-risk jobs or they've got a health problems. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. not uncommon for you to see an advisor. We set up some insurance over here. Some of it we might have to keep in an old super fund yep. because we can't get any more insurance. So there are strategies at play. Yes. Um, but in this day and age, Vince, the good thing that we're doing sitting here, if you've got a default fund that's been given to you by your employer in the last four years, <laughs> we can probably confidently say it's not one of the old funds with a 5% contribution fee. There's not advisor trail commission. It's going to be pretty good in terms of fees because the products just don't exist anymore. That's true. Although there is still a big variety within that. But you're absolutely right. The, yeah. the old days of the... The good old days <laughs> for, the, for some of them. For some people. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the diversity among what's called my super, super funds, and you have to be a my super, super fund to be a default fund, um, the variation is less. There's a whole bunch of boxes you have to tick to get your super fund certified as being my super, which removes a lot of those older problems. Yes. But it is likely that, you may not. You're unlikely to be invested in the right you know, option. I don't. Do you know why I don't like my super products? The lifestyle options, because as you get older, they reduce yeah, the amount evil. invested. Yeah. And and what? So to say they're evil. They're evil. They are the spawn of the devil. One yes. of the worst inventions because John, in finance in the last twenty years. It's just really? yeah. Because what it is doing, and it's a two-edged sword. They want to protect people from a GFC when they're 60 years old of losing half their money overnight and then freaking out and selling it. So they go, the older you get, if you join our fund and you're 60 years old, we're putting you in an investment option that has 70% in defensive assets. But if you're 60 years old and got 300 or 400 grand in super, you don't want that money just in cash because it needs to be working for the next 20 years. That's right. And the simpler way of managing that is actually to – Look at your last few years of contributions. So if you turn, let's say you're planning on retiring at 60, you might start from age 56 or 57 and put your new contributions in cash and leave it, yeah. leave the rest of it. So exactly. you're giving yourself a buffer for the first few years. Uh, I know we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves here, yes. but in terms of retirement incomes, yeah. it's the few years either side of retirement that drives how much, how well you're going to live in mm. retirement. So the last thing you want to be doing is just going, oh, it's 4.30 on 
the three years before I leave, now is the time to sell down to bonds. That's just dangerous stuff. Yeah. And but it just goes back to they're also more expensive. Get advice. Yeah, that's right. But just on that, if you are, and it's not related to super, but Vince touched on it. If you are saving for a home deposit and you've been saving for three years and it's in a share fund, for example, um, and you you're still not aware of you know what you're going to do, stop investing and just save cash for the next couple of years. Like you're allowed to do that as well. Yeah, it's okay to be boring, isn't it? Yeah, if your financial plan is boring, it's probably pretty good. Yep. So, if you want excitement, go to the casino. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, race sure. course. But hey, that's been a cool little chat, and I hope it's just got you thinking uh, about your super. I know there's no um, silver bullet, but there can be some silver strategies. There, there can. can be a silver fox called Vince Scully. <laughs> You've got one last question. I John. have, Vince, and this is for the business owners listening out there or the budding business owners. Um, I've got an asset that I'm about to sell or going to sell one day and I've got this lump sum of money once I've sold it. Now, presuming that I've held it for minimum 12 months, um, what do I do with those funds and can I put that in a lump sum into super once I sell and and, uh, get the cash rewards? Uh, Generally, yes is the answer. Um, There's a whole bunch of concessions for small business people and small business people is defined in terms of under 20 mil? Of revenue mil and assets. Yeah. I think it's 10 million of yeah. income. Um, and if you sell a small business or assets related to a small business, um, you get a whole bunch of concessions. The first one you get is the normal 50% capital gains tax discount if you've held it for more because than Because your business months. is just an asset. It's just an asset. Yeah. Um, then you get um, the small business concession which takes another quarter off the thing. And then you get an ability to roll it over into a super. Now, rollover is a fancy term for... Shoving money in super. Depositing it. <laughs> um, and if you deposit the proceeds, you can generally effectively defer all tax on it. But you need to get advice because... Oh, this is not something to try at home, guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is outrageously complicated. This is an mm. entertainment podcast. <laughs> and I think you might find, Johnny Boy, that um, you may have to be over 55 in that scenario. Well, there's the, there's the fully retired. So the first two, that is the normal one and the small business one, you get. And the 15-year one, I think you yeah, get 15 either years, way. Yeah. Um, and then there's a retiring, which I think does require you to be over 55. But the point, I think that's important here is if you're selling a small business get advice before you actually sign the contract Mm. because the form of that contract and the timing of it can make a big difference yes and even get advice if you're thinking about it because it could be strategy you need to do that's 12 months before that pen hits that paper so vince tell us about the first home buyer super saver scheme now the first home buyer super saver scheme it's a horrible name really hard to say it's fhssss something yeah um is really free money from the government and what it is based on is it allows you to make additional contributions to your super fund either concessional or non-concessional as we talked earlier and you can then withdraw those extra contributions and the associated earnings to use to buy a house, your first house. So it's on top of the stamp duty concessions and the first home buyer grant. It's another way of putting together some money. Um, 
if you want to have some detail on how it works, if you Google Life Sherpa free money for first home buyers. Um, Bloody or, come on this podcast and advertise your own crap. <laughs> there you go. Um, it, I go through that. But broadly, you we'll, can, we'll put your, we'll put the or article, a link to it yeah, in, the, in, the, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but generally, it's a way of making additional contributions to your super and getting the tax benefits from that. And then you pull them out. So and you're just it, flushing money. Yeah. So it just goes around in a circle. And in fact, if you get the timing right, um, so you, for example, you could put some money in on June 30 and July 1 and pull it out on July 3 yeah. and get some. So that's what I would say as well. If you've got a deposit at the end of the financial year, if you haven't used the super scheme, look at, call your super fund, get the personal contribution details. Do you have to tell the fund that this is for super or is it just when you want to buy a house, if you're a first home buyer, you've got access to your non-concessional contributions up to 30 grand? Broadly. Yeah. Although not every super fund is geared up to do this. Right. Um, I don't know why the federal government just didn't say we're giving every first home buyer an extra five freaking grand. Yeah. Because that would just inflate prices. <sighs> but I mean, how many people save for a deposit and don't use this scheme? Because they don't, yeah, because they don't know about it. Is it is outrageously complicated. Yeah. So get some good advice. But the point I think is that, um, it allows you to put some money into super and pull it back out again. And it's just the tax difference between you earning it. But and if your super I funded. put the money in yep. and change my mind and don't ever buy a first home, goodbye. You, 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 no, you have two choices. You can leave it where it is or you can pull it out and pay a small tax penalty. It's not a lot of money. Um, so you could almost treat it as an, an option fee to get the yeah, see, flexibility. I, I would probably be more inclined, and this is just me speaking, um, clearly, it's my voice. It's your podcast. Yeah, it's my podcast. Um, I would probably be more inclined to just use it as a flush through before you're about to buy. Is it just just to be very certain that you will be buying a home if you've disciplined enough to save. And you can predict when you're going to find the right house. Ish, yeah. Um, but most people will be saving for Truth. more than three years. Yeah. Um, but you're right, you can – Because you can do 15 grand a year up to 30 grand. Correct. Yeah. So predicting which side of June 30 you're going to buy your house. Um, yeah, it's a high-risk game. Oh, well, I mean, obviously you need a good buyer's agent to help you f- get the timing right. Well, I think it's it's an easy win. It is. You might as well take advantage of it. You just need to free money. align the ducks in your life. Don't yeah, you? I think we'll uh, we'll put the link to your uh, blog post uh, because I think it's just one that you just need to read, chew on, um, chat. Yeah. So it's got it a worked example which yeah. shows how the maths actually works. Yeah. It's and not it, simple. And I was talking to a client last week. It's, um, it's not – Okay, I'm going to get get the money out tomorrow, and it's sitting in your account. Either. There's there's a bit of a lag there as well. Yeah. Isn't so you've got to get a certificate from the tax office, and then give it to your super fund, and you have to do it before you sign the contract. That's a bit of a trap for young players. That is a, a trap that is a good options trick. as yeah. well. Yeah. So you've got to have, but you've got, I think it might be nine months to spend the money, or eighteen months to spend the money after you take it out. So it's not. Yeah. You just need to get the timing right. So yeah. put the money in. When you're ready to buy or close to ready to buy, you take it out. Never seen that. And, then- and whatever super fund you're with, go to their website, Google it with their website as well because they should have instructions for their members, you would think. Yes. So, all right, Vince, thanks for thanks, coming Vince. and having pleasure, a pleasure chinwag about super. So, yeah. 
lot of fun. It's been super. It has been super. <laughs> All right, bye. If you are after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want somebody to talk to, jump onto sortyourmoneyout.com and click on Get Help and I'll be able to put you in touch with an advisor or a mortgage broker who can actually sit down with you or have a Skype or a Zoom meeting and really work out what you need based on your own personal circumstances. My Millennial Money supports A21. A21 is a non-profit organization that exists to abolish slavery everywhere. These guys rescue real people from human trafficking across the world. If you want to learn more about how you can contribute to the fight against human trafficking, check out a21.org forward slash au. Remember, we hang out on Insta at My Millennial Money. If you're a regular listener, you're welcome to join our Facebook group. If you want more money hacks, be sure to subscribe to My Millennial Money Express. It's short money hacks anywhere, anytime, right into your ears. We had a conference, John, in Adelaide a couple of months ago. Yes. And the gala dinner, you know. You get I saw you in a black suit. Yeah, you got your the suit. Gala the gala dinner. You get, you get in your suit. And um, so Vince is at the um, – we're at the conference that I helped organize in Adelaide and it was over 400 people at the gala dinner. And the next day I was like, I didn't bloody run into Vince. He must have just been at a table at the back or whatever. After the end session that afternoon, old Uncle Vinny over here went and had a nap, didn't he? <laughs> didn't Woke up at 11 up. p.m. <laughs> yeah, once, once you lie down in those hotel beds. That's the end of you. Wow. So he, so he, I wasn't even tired. I just lay down. Yeah. And six Dr- hours later, I woke up. And drifted off. But that's when you get the suit on and get out and party. <laughs> in Adelaide? Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> it was closed. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.